We just had our first child, Ayla. She was 17 months old, and she had slowly progressed from doing tummy time where they'd sit there and put their head up until they cried, to learn to hold her head up. Then she progressed to flipping over from her back to her front, eventually to the army crawl where they're dragging their legs to a regular baby crawl, to wobbly standling, standing, and then finally taking one small step for man and one giant step for a baby. And she looked at me with this huge smile on her face and then landed right on her face, hysterically crying. And so I sprung up off the couch and I raced across the room and I picked her up and I calmed her down. And then I figured out that I needed to make a system so she wouldn't fall again. Now I looked around and I devised an incredible system if I do say so myself. I took the soft belt off of the robe, I put it underneath her arms, and I made a chest harness, and then I tied the two pieces together so I had a single rope to hold. And I stood there feeling incredibly proud. I mean, first off, a Jew had actually built something without a handyman. But secondly, I was protecting my daughter. She was not going to fall again. And it was as those words echoed through my mind, she's not going to fall again. Until when? And then I looked at my hand and the rope to see her smiling, and I realized I couldn't hold her up forever. And at some point, I was going to need to let go of this rope, and it was going to be really awkward if I was still holding the rope when she was in college. But realizing that I had to let go, and I had to let her fall, because without falling, she wouldn't walk. And without walking, she wouldn't run. And my rope and my reaction was playing the short game. And it pained me so much to see my little girl get hurt. But I was also acutely aware that I needed to let go and play the long game. And that experience, it reminds me so much of this week's Parsha. And it's an incredibly well-known one. It's one that all of you have heard, but there's something about it that's hit me in a really different way this week than it ever has before in my life. And I think it speaks to each of us, not only in our personal lives, but also in our civic lives. Isaac is at the very end of his life, and he wants to give a blessing to Esau. Now, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, he hears this, she hears this, and tells Jacob, to go gather some food for his father. She's going to cook it, and then he can usurp Esau for the blessing. Now, right here. This is where the rabbinic commentary, it goes wild. The rabbis, they take apart. If Rebecca is dishonest or is Jacob dishonest, what about parental favoritism? But the focus again and again, it keeps the lens focused on the moment. And that's what Rebecca's concerned about. She wants Jacob to get the blessing. She doesn't want him to fall on his face, not thinking about what happens next. And it's such a common human reaction to want to react to the moment and to fix what's in front of us without thinking through the long-term effects of our actions. And Jacob says, look, but my dad's going to know if it's not me. She says, don't worry about it. I got a solution. We're going to put some hair on your arm. We'll trick him that way. And lo and behold, it works. And Jacob gets the blessing. And therefore, the mission, it must be accomplished. 
His mom fixed the problem in front of her. Jacob didn't have to do anything. He didn't even need to think. But you see, the mission, it's not accomplished. Because you've got to think about the next moment and what the long-term goal is. Jacob's brother, he threatens him. He says, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob runs away. And then he has to engage with the world as an adult. And so how did that go? Well, that's the future. That's why most commentaries, they don't actually move past this week. But if you don't mind a spoiler alert, because a few people might have read this book before, we actually can look into the future and see how life turns out. Because right after he flees from his brother, who has threatened to kill him because he never learned to communicate with him, he heads off to find a wife. And surely, if he leaves his own family problems, he won't experience any others, because we all know how that works, until he meets his father-in-law, who lies to him and tricks him to marry the wrong daughter. He marries Leah instead of Rachel. But how could have Jacob actually known how to deal with this? He was never given the ability to fail in his home. So now, He's failing in spectacular ways as an adult on his own. When you're a child, it doesn't hurt that much to fall. But as you get older and you weigh more, falling hurts a lot more. His father-in-law, after lying to him about his wife, he then cheats him in a business deal with a flock of animals. But how could have Jacob known? He never learned. And it's not until Jacob is so afraid that his brother will kill him that he splits his flock up and he literally crosses over the Yabok River, which are the exact same letters in Hebrew, if you screw them around, that are his name. So he's literally crossing over himself, over this river, and he confronts a man. And I would say that that man is actually himself. And it's right there in the dark. A life where he had been protected and held up by his mother's bathrobe belt. He finally is standing alone in the silence of the desert that he's able to truly become himself. And it's in that desert that he wrestles and he finally falls in the dark. And it's in this darkness that he's he's actually able to become himself. He's no longer Jacob, the one whose mother does not let him fail, because Jacob was not him. He'd actually never separated and truly found out who he was. It's in this darkness and this fear that he transforms from Jacob into Israel. And each of us is known as the people of Israel because Jacob was brave enough to face himself in the darkness and to fall. After a life of struggle and misery, of running and fearing to fall, it was only when he actually fell that he could rise to become the nation of Israel. So what does that mean for us? As parents, we all know that we need to let our kids fall in order to walk. We know as adults that we have to take risks in order to grow. But I think there's actually a much grander lesson from this week's Parsha. The lesson is that we should be playing the long game, not the short game. Our tendency is to want to react and fix what we think is broken or what we're afraid of instead of slowing down and taking the long view. Right now, our society is fumbling around trying to react to the election as if we know what's going to happen. 
We look at our relationships and our lives, and we so often, we have these knee-jerk reactions that feel great in the moment, but they do nothing but harm us and make things more difficult and complicated in the long run. So on this Shabbat, my challenge for all of us, including myself, is to stop, slow down, and slowly let your child or yourself back to the ground so that we can get up and we can fall and fall and fall. And then eventually, we're going to learn to walk. Shabbat Shalom.